From the Financial Times in London, I'm Jonathan Wheatley and this is FT News. Brazil is in a deepening and apparently never-ending economic and political crisis. The economy shrank by nearly 4% last year. It looks like doing the same this year. Far-reaching corruption scandal seems to be dragging down the whole business and political community with it. Joining me from Sao Paulo is Joe Leahy, our Brazilian bureau chief, to explain what's going on and what happens next. Joe, Sunday, April 17th, the Congress voted by the necessary two-thirds majority to start impeachment proceedings against President Dilma Rousseff. People have obviously had enough and think it's time for her to go, but she's still in the job, isn't she? What happens next? Yes, Jonathan. What happens now is that the lower house of Congress, having finished with the process, now will pass it on to the Senate. The Senate will have a period of time to analyse the petition for impeachment and perhaps even embellish it. At the moment, it's centred mainly on the accounts on Dilma's treatment of the budget during her first term and uh, last year. But the Senate will now probably prepare a report that could include other aspects, including, for instance, the uh, corruption scandal that's been sweeping Petrobras, the state-owned oil company. That would be very interesting, wouldn't it? Because one thing that a lot of people have been worried about in this is that they try to get rid of it on a technicality. All politicians massage the books, don't they? But you're saying there's a chance they might actually now try and involve her in the corruption scandal. Yeah, my understanding from talking to people uh, in Congress over the past week was that the Senate has quite a lot of autonomy and can start to consider other aspects. So we could see them try to make this process a little bit more legitimate, a little bit more thorough, to try to bring on board more Brazilians because... The pretext for the impeachment, as you mentioned, is quite technical and I doubt more than you know, 5% of people really understand what it's about. OK, talk me through the mechanics. If they get a simple majority of the vote, they start impeachment. If they get a two-thirds majority, she's out of office, is that right? Yeah, so what happens at the beginning, they go through this process, uh, quite a bureaucratic process of considering the petition. They prepare a, a small report, then they put it to a vote, and if a simple majority accept it in the Senate, accept the petition, then the impeachment itself starts. That is actually the beginning of the formal impeachment, which is really a political trial that will happen in the Senate. That'll be overseen by the President of the Supreme Court. And at that point, when they vote by simple majority and accept the petition, that's when Dilma will be suspended for up to six months and her Vice President, Michelle Temer, will take over. And that vote, by all accounts, is expected to happen around about... May the 10th or the 11th. And what's the issue of the two-thirds majority? So once they've accepted the petition, then they go through a sort of a range of different procedures. They prepare another report and they debate the matter and uh, Dilma has her defence. And then sometime around about June, expected to be in June or perhaps late June, they're expected to hold a second vote. And that's the actual vote in which they will decide to impeach her or not. And for that, they need two-thirds of the Senate. There's 81 senators and they need 54 of them to approve it. Right, and if that happens then, so the impeachment trial starts, she's out of office, Michelle Temer, her vice president, takes over. One other thing that people have been suggesting might happen is that she could somehow just resign and call fresh elections. Is that at all likely? My understanding is if she resigned, the problem would be that then power would go to the vice president. So she would need to create a mechanism to allow them to call fresh elections and that would need the support of the Congress. So there is talk, at least in the media, sort of quoting sources in the PT, that this might be a way out for them. They might be able to try to you know, make a deal with Congress and go to a fresh election. It seems like a very unlikely avenue at this point because it would require, as I understand it, constitutional amendments and uh, different mechanisms to try to allow it to happen. For instance, 
Brazil, as, as you know, has an electoral calendar. So if you were to call the presidential elections now, you'd also have to call the elections for Congress and for the governors. And that's unlikely to have a lot of support. So the base case scenario is that we get President Michel Temer in the job, at least during the uh, the impeachment proceedings. A lot of investors seem to think whatever's bad for Dilma is good for their assets. But the car wash investigation and the corruption investigation that you've been writing about so much and so well, that's kind of getting a life of its own now, isn't it? And you'd read a lot on social media of people saying, right, we've got rid of Dilma. Now we're going to go after Temer and Cunha, the Speaker of the House, who's got all kinds of corruption charges against him. Is it taking on a life of its own? Are we going to see a whole series of people being toppled or is there going to be a chance for some kind of stability while they try to fix the economic mess? I spoke to people on both sides during the weekend, during the vote, and it seems that both sides believe that Lava Jato has a life of its own. It, it'll be very difficult to suddenly say, OK, let's, you know, let's put a lid on Lava Jato, let's put that to the side, let's sort out Brazil's problems. I think it'll actually be the reverse. It'll be Lava Jato will run its course, and once it's finished, only then will we have true political stability in Brazil. The reason for that is that a lot of Temer's supporters are involved in Lava Jato, so... As time goes on, we're going to see them coming under an incredible amount of pressure. This is the second impeachment we've had in Brazil's short history of democratic government. It seems as though you know, this is recall by impeachment, that there isn't a mechanism. And the, the last guy went 24 years ago, Fernando Collor. And it seems as though if the people and the politicians don't want the president, this is how the president is got rid of. Last time this happened... There was a kind of team of technocrats sitting in the background, it turned out, ready to take over and clean the thing up and do a good job and set Brazil really on on the path to growth that it had over the past 20-odd years. What about this time? Is that team of technocrats there? Are the people ready to take over and clean things up that are not going to get swallowed up by the Lava Jato investigation? Yes, I think the team of technocrats is there. The key thing is, we speak to people from that earlier generation of the Collar um, impeachment, there, there seemed to have been a lot of luck involved in that process. I mean, Itamar Franca was, was not a well-known figure. He came into power. He seemed to have done the job reasonably well, apart from some embarrassments at Carnival and this kind of thing. But he did appoint uh, Fernando Hickey, and they came up with the Real plan, and uh, over time it worked out OK. Now, in the case of Temer, he certainly has the qualifications to be a decent caretaker president. He's been the head of, of the lower house three times. He's a constitutional lawyer, so he understands very well how the constitution works. The problem is his friends and Lava Jato. If he can steer a course between all of that, if he doesn't himself get deeply implicated in Lava Jato, there is a chance that he could somehow come through this. But he does need to introduce a very positive and strong agenda from the beginning and use the uh, unity that he has in Congress at this moment to try to get that agenda through. It's anyone's guess. And what do you think are the chances now for an agenda like that? Because when Dilma started her second term, she realised that the economy was going the wrong direction. It needed tidying up. She brought in Joaquin Levy, who has all the credentials of an investor-friendly, market-friendly, growth and development-friendly finance minister, had an agenda similar to the one that's being talked about now. And he was shot down and stopped in his tracks. I mean, Congress wouldn't let him do anything. So even if you do get a sort of dream finance minister in now, how able are they going to be to do what they want to do? I think it's very challenging, but perhaps a little bit more encouraging than during the time when uh, Levy was there. Levy did actually achieve a, a couple of small things. He got some small reforms through Congress, such as to workers' insurance and, and a couple of other things that you wouldn't have expected him to get through. One of the problems that he had was what was effectively his own party, the PT, which suddenly revolted against this entire agenda of Brazil-style austerity, you know, trying to get the budget back into balance. 
and some of these other reforms. This time you're going to have the PT there openly against the program, but hopefully at least at the beginning, Congress will be a little bit more united than the rest of the Congress. So you'll have the old opposition party, the PSTB, hopefully behind the reforms. You'll have the PMDB, the biggest party in, in Congress, hopefully behind the reforms. And then the rest of them hopefully will fall in line. So there is a chance that it can happen. The problem, again, being if the whole thing sort of starts to become fragmented, the infighting starts, and then, of course, you won't see anything happen. Yeah, well, you used the word hopefully there several times, Joe. Uh, it sounds like that's the right, the right <laughs> word to use. We will watch it very closely. Thanks very much. Looking forward to reading more of your writing about it. Thanks very much, Jonathan. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc.